Verse 16, Go and bring together the elders of Israel and tell them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, appeared to me and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have attended carefully to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the Egypt and the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's repeating what he said to Moses, but now he's saying, this is what I want you to tell. This isn't just for you. This is what I want you to tell the elders as well. Then here's what's really ironic. Verse 18, the elders will listen to you and then in elders of Israel must, oh, sorry. The elders will listen to you and then you and the elders of Israel must go to the king of Egypt and tell them, him, that Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has, sent, has met with us. So now let us go. Unlike you, Moses, jab, 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 the elders are going to listen and believe. Right now you've got all these excuses. Who am I? What character are you? Who do you think you are? But if you go, the elders are going to be like, oh, okay, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Isn't that interesting? The leader who's supposed to lead them doesn't have as much faith as the followers. Yes? So would they have understood the I am right away? No. But they would understand this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who made promises. And they probably remember Genesis 15 where God says you're going to be here for four generations. And they're probably watching their clock and know that four generations is about up. So when this guy comes out of the wilderness and starts saying these things, they're going to say, coincidence? I don't think so. It's a great question. They're not going to fully understand the character of God in this sense, but they are going to know it's time. And they're going to recognize the signs. But after the Exodus, they'll understand the name of Yahweh. But here's also what's interesting. Moses has no faith, yet the elders will. When we get to the end of the ten plagues, Moses is going to be the man of the great faith, and the Israelites are going to be ones complaining and saying, where is God? What is he going to do? It's going to flip-flop. And so it's interesting that the believers are going to become the unbelievers, and I don't mean in a salvation sense, but in a faith sense. And the one who doubts is going to become one of the greatest men of faith that the world has ever seen other than Jesus. Verse 18, he tells them to go back to the elders, and then he says, go to Pharaoh and say, let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. Now that's important because Charlton Heston, as Moses when he went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go, period. Nowhere is he ever told to say that. And nowhere does Moses ever say that. Moses says, and God says, let my people go so that they may serve and worship me. It's not just a liberation. We're free from slavery. Now we can follow our heart and just do it and have it our way. It's a, let my people go so they may obey and follow and worship me. That's the purpose. That's what Moses said. It's interesting that Hollywood kind of gets rid of that whole obedience part because we just like the freedom and the liberation, the independence day, and now we can do what we want. So, that's what he wants. Now, three-day journey. 
Three is symbolic of redemption and is kind of what's necessary. You have to understand something. A lot of people also think, well, he's kind of starting off small. Let's just go to Pharaoh and ask for three days vacation. And then once we have our three-day vacation, we'll kind of just sneak off and just run away from Egypt and never come back. (laughs) But that's not what's going on here. You must understand that first... People who, like I said, when you, they say, hey, do you want some tea? And you're like, oh, no, I couldn't. What they really mean is yes, but they got to go through this politeness. The other thing that people do is people don't exactly just straight out come and demand something. They politely request in a roundabout way. Okay, this is how they give directions, too. Okay, everything's like this roundabout way. It's almost like if you really like me, you're going to, like, stick around and try to figure out what I'm saying. Um, so they always request, but what they really mean is demanding. So that's just how people made demands in the ancient world, unless you're like a pharaoh or something. Second, if you ask pharaoh, let me go three days away, take all the people, so that we can make sacrifices to this god and worship him, what you're declaring is that we're going to give our total allegiance to that god, not you. Pharaoh would have immediately understood this as total liberation and total walking away from Egypt. Because who are you only supposed to worship and make sacrifices to? The Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. To take, and remember what Pharaoh, Pharaoh knows about Elohim. Pharaoh knows about this Yahweh, whether he knows the name or not, because that, depending on whether the name is being used or not, he knows this God. This is the God of the slaves. You've got to be a moron to rule over your people and not know what God your slaves... In fact, if anything, you're going to know exactly what your slaves are doing all the time so that you know how to handle them. So when he says, I don't know this God, he's not saying, I don't know who your God is. He's saying, I don't recognize his power. I don't recognize his authority. So he knows who this God is. So if you say, and to Pharaoh, this is a slave God. The way that your people are says something about your God. So if a nation like Assyria starts becoming more and more powerful and dominating everybody, then everybody knows that the Syrian gods are more powerful than all other gods. Because what the nation is is what your gods are. So this is one of the reasons why today God doesn't bless us with health and wealth and prosperity and power as a sign of his blessing. Really faithful, obedient Christians can be very poor. But in the ancient world, he blessed Israel with the greatest wealth and power of the entire world under David and Solomon because that says something about your God. If you're weak, then your God is weak. So if you want people to understand that you're the most powerful God in the world, then you make your people the most powerful. It wasn't because he's like likes them and doesn't like us or that faith always means prosperity. It was a cultural communication thing that doesn't speak to us in, that, in our culture anymore. So the reality is that he's saying this, You're a, your God's a slave God. He's a pathetic God. I don't recognize his power authority. And then all of a sudden you're saying, we're going to go and we're going to worship this God instead of you. That would have been a huge insult to the Egyptian gods and a huge declaration of independence from Egypt. Pharaoh would have known exactly what he meant there. Moses is not trying to lie or deceive or start off with baby steps. Moses is telling him exactly what they want. This is about worshiping something else, not you. Because the whole message of the entire Bible is who will you bow down to and who will you worship? And Moses comes straight out and says, this is it. This is what we're all about. And so you must understand that that's what he's communicating. 
So, and the three-day journey is also a way of saying we're going to be gone for a long time. Okay, because he doesn't say like three-day vacation. He says journey. We're going far away. So this is what he's going to communicate to Pharaoh. Absolute liberation from your power and control. And Pharaoh knows that right off the bat. And that's why Pharaoh says, I don't recognize your God's authority. You're not going. Because here's the thing. What did the Pharaoh at the beginning of the Exodus fear the most? The Israelites becoming their own nation and threatening the power of Egypt. Now Moses is going to come in and say, we're going to become our own people and worship our own God and walk away from you. The minute Pharaoh hears that, the, the nightmare of his forefathers is starting to become reality. He knows exactly what that means. It's everything that he and the previous pharaohs have feared. And that's why he's going to say just for that, and he presses down on them even harder. No more straw for making bricks. He's just going to make their life an absolute living hell because it's not working. We tried to reduce your population. It didn't work. We tried to kill you. It didn't work. And we finally exterminated everybody, and now you're still trying to find liberation. And so he pounces down on them even more. Pharaoh knows exactly what they're calling for, what they're asking for. But, verse 19, God goes on. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even under force. So I will extend my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will do among them. And after that, he will release you. He knows. So here's the thing. Not only does God compassionately love his people that he's going to step in and save them, but he's also going to flex his muscles. He's saying, I'm not just here to deliver my people out of love, but I'm here to display my power, my wonder. Because the more powerful you see me, the more people that will want to be with me. And so he's going to display the wonders. Now, God typically uses nature to fight his battles. Now, here's what you must say when we get into plagues, and we'll talk about this again, but when you get the plagues, a lot of people are like, well, these are all just natural things that happen all the time. That's like the History Channel's favorite thing. Like, they've had floodings before. They've had locust things before. This is nothing new. Now, we'll talk about why the plagues are drastically different than anything natural. But here's the thing. Everything in nature is everything that God created. And everything that God created is nature. Of course, he's going to use nature to demonstrate his power. He's the God and the author of nature. Why would you build your own tools and then never use them? Nature and creation is his tool. It is his instrument. And so, of course, he's going to use locusts and floodings and plagues and the Red Sea and all these things to fight his battles because that's his tool. It's the only thing he's ever created is creation. And so you must understand that this is not an attack against the fact that this is all natural. It's the fact that God is using his tool that he created. And so this is what God is going to say. I'm going to take nature and I'm going to manipulate it in a way that you've never seen nature act, ever. And that will show you that I'm in control. And so that's what he's doing here. It's like, I didn't know you could do that with a paintbrush. You're amazing. But he's not going to do it. The more that Pharaoh resists, the more that God can show his wonders, which means the more people are convinced that he's the only God, which means the more people will follow him. He's not delaying it because God's not very good at convincing people. 
He's drawing it out because the longer it gets drawn out, the more people are wowed and the more people want to be a part of him. That's why he's going to take so long. So I will extend my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders. So notice the striking is also judgment. So the third reason for the plagues here is, is judgment. It's to reveal who he is. It's to demonstrate his glory. It's to save his people. It's to bring repentance. And it's also to judge their sins. Verse 21, I will grant this people favor with the Egyptians so that when you depart, you will not leave empty-handed. Every woman will ask her neighbor and the one who happens to be staying in her house for items of silver and gold and for clothing, and you will put these articles on your sons and daughters. Thus, you will plunder Egypt. Now, back in Genesis 5, sorry, Genesis 15, God says you will be in bondage for four generations, and when you leave, you will leave with the wealth of Egypt. 400 years later, God is saying, and when you leave, you will leave with the wealth of Egypt. Now, you're like, okay, this isn't right. God's going to let them rob all the Egyptians, and then he's going to bring them to Mount Sinai, and three weeks later say, do not steal. I mean, I've heard some commentators say, but he's not stealing, they're giving it to them. <laughs> okay? No. They have been oppressed and abused for 400 years. This is like your boss not paying you for 400 years. God is giving them everything that was owed to them. Because God doesn't just liberate people, he restores people. He compensates them. And so this is what he's doing. Egypt has taken a lot from Israel. And they've made Israel oppress for free. And now Israel is owed a payment. And that's what God is doing. And so this isn't theft. This is offering. Now notice too, when we get to this point, a lot of Egyptians will leave Egypt and go with the Jews as well because the plagues will work. They work. They actually convince people to go. So God is honoring his promises. Everything. Notice the lamb flowing with milk and honey. That's the promise he made to Abraham. Freedom. He made that promise to Abraham. Coming out with the wealth. He made, he's going through all his promises and he's saying, now is the day. 